When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jason Tatum is your all-star MVP. Jalen Brown looks just straight up awesome in his new mask there. And we're now approaching the critical final stretch run of the season. The Athletics' Jared Weiss joins us to talk all about it next on First to the Floor. It's going to be first to the floor here. And it was Marcus Smart as he usually is. Hey, hey, welcome into another episode of First to the Floor. Ben Vallis here. Thanks for joining us. Hope you're doing well. We've got Jake Eisenberg with us, as he often is, but today we're very excited to welcome a very special guest from The Athletic. It's Jared Weiss. Jared, joining us from a car somewhere in the United States of America. How you doing, man? Thanks for coming on. I'm good. Yeah, somewhere in the U.S. is accurate. I don't think we're not worried. <laughs> we like to specifically geographically pinpoint all of our guests before we get going. So nice to be to right, be I'll right on the money there. I'll, s- I'll send you my latitude coordinates. And, uh, Please do. It's a requirement for all guests. Uh, <laughs> look, we've got plenty to get to here coming off the back of what was really a Celtics fan's delight. And then not much of anything to anyone else if you're a fan of any other team. Jared, <laughs> the All-Star Game, quite a production yesterday, we'll say, quite lengthy. Let's start with the good here. What were the best parts of the game yesterday? Well, a part. I think it's a singular, right? It was just <laughs> that that battle between Tatum and Jalen Brown. That was that was actually fun for brief periods of time. And they weren't even fully defending each other. They, they would like they would stay in front of each other, but wouldn't really contest the shot. I think JT gave JB a good contest in the like buzzer beater at the end of the third quarter. But I mean, come on, guys. The All Star game is trash. We know this. <laughs> <laughs> like. But putting in the Elam ending that first year yielded incredible results. That mm-hmm. first one was amazing in the fourth quarter. It sucked until the fourth quarter. That was amazing. This time, you could tell the guy just didn't care. And unfortunately, the, the score was too spread apart for them to really care. But at least JB and JT wanted to like kind of get out of each other, really break each other down. Uh, we saw a few huge dunks from JT that was at least interesting in the fact that like JT is pretty like consistent with his dunk style. And we saw him break out a few different types of dunks, which is fun. But like, there was also that photo of LeBron literally running away while GT was throwing it out. So yeah, it's, that was like, awesome. it's not like we got to see any real posters in this one. But so that was the only part I can remember thinking like, oh, this is actually cool to watch. The rest of it was pretty bland. I'm sure there are a couple interesting moments, but I'm not remembering too many. Yeah, look, it was the best all-star game of all time. Definitely, definitely not. But like, as a Celtics fan... You got you got all the sound bites of you know JT and JP talking about how much they love each other. We got some great slow mo videos of um, Jalen coming up to JT, giving them the, the signature handshake and giving Deuce the, the butt tap afterwards. Um, and then we got the post game interview with with Tatum um, with the trophy. Um, and I like he 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 loved it, right? Like I was kind of happy for him. Signature shoe comes out. Um, everybody's pumped about that. Um, thankfully, the other colorways. Um, have kind of propped up how the the shoe actually looks overall. Um, but he was he was stoked, right? I mean, the Kobe Bryant award um, dropping fifty five. Um, you know, getting little details like you know, D 
Dame telling me, yo, you're on 49, the record's 52. Like, you got to go for it. Um, and look, as, you know, as much as some guys on WE, I might hate it. Like, these guys kind of care about um, winning the MVP and Tatum winning the MVP that's named after Kobe Bryant. Um, it does matter to him. Um, I don't think it matters anywhere near as much as him winning a championship, obviously. Um, but it was, like, I was just, like, happy happy for Tatum to drop 55 in an All-Star game. Um, I'm going to convince myself that him knocking down eight pull-up threes um, is the beginning of his pull-up three numbers starting to come up. So Please, uh, please, guys. Yeah, yeah please, to the, to the Lords, let this be the beginning of the pull-up threes starting to fall. Um, but, yeah, like, as far as um, taking away too much from this, um, yeah, not, not too much to glean. I mean, the whole thing was, what, 17 hours long? Like, the, from the draft all the way, all the way through. Um, thankfully, I was watching on delay, so I got to kind of fast forward through some of the some of the interviews and stuff. But um, the longest broadcast of all time, uh, Joe Mazzulla still manages to play Tatum 35 minutes, uh, which is <laughs> <laughs> which is impressive. It was a light 35 at least. Um, what did the 35 include the Elam ending? It's like there's a clock running. Oh, that's a good question. That's a great I, I, question. Yeah, so he really he really played like 45 minutes. That um, is good. But yeah. They're also they're also not playing, so not, we didn't, totally. I can't imagine. He was. I don't think he even broke a sweat, so yeah. it doesn't matter. He could have played yeah. in the entire game and wouldn't have mattered. Yeah, yeah Luka Doncic good. still managed to seem completely gassed despite the the lack of effort from all players on the court. But yeah, like the length of it, like even and we can use this to to traverse to the next section, which is the obvious question: What were the bad elements of the All Star game? Jewel taking the piss there with the length of the national anthem. Like no disrespect to the national anthem, but she really. Drew that thing out, and I'm a, I'm a big over under during the Super Bowl on the length of oh, the yeah. national anthem. Better, it's like the one bet that I make. Uh, Jewel was was obviously had some money behind the over on that one because she really dragged that <laughs> thing on. <laughs> Jared, I mean, we, we've touched on a few elements here, but what were the sort of more obvious negatives of of this particular All Star game? And I should also say the halftime show was good. You know, Bern, Bernavoy like phoned it in, but at least Tams and Remo were good, so at least the halftime show was enjoyable. But uh, I mean. The draft was fun, and I know that they did the reserves first so that they got rid of the whole, like, you know, picking guys last thing, but would Laurie Barkenden have gone last yeah. if the reserves are going at the end and you would fill a reserve? I feel like I feel like it ended up you going the same way as we could have imagined. Yeah, for sure. And also, Jokic basically saying, screw Laurie Markkinen, I'm not going last, <laughs> and just walking around the LeBron scene was hilarious. He claimed that he didn't see Laurie was still there. Yeah. And it'd be a classic thing for no one in the Utah Jazz All-Star at the Utah Jazz All-Star game. So that was pretty hilarious. Jokic has great vision. I can't imagine he missed Laurie standing <laughs> over there. So um, so I, I, I that was really hilarious. But, um, you know, the draft, the, I guess the draft was fine. You know, it was fine. It, it was fun. Um, especially when you see some of the guys getting picked looking like they're doing a passive aggressive handshake. So then actually that part was fun and thank God they were doing it in front of everybody. And also shout out to Giannis for screwing up and picking John Moran. Yeah, that's amazing. To. That was funny. So I guess the draft I say was the positive. Um, it, it was just that the game itself is these guys could step up the level of play a little bit and it would be so much more entertaining because they're just not defending at all. And they're not running any plays whatsoever. And it seemed like it, it just seemed like they didn't want to try to make it feel like a game at all. And they were all just trying to get shots up like it's a layup line. I thought Jalen described it best when he said it was a glorified layup line. 
I feel like in the past it hasn't been quite that bad. It's usually like some semblance of execution and just like they're not closing out hard, they're not contesting hard, stuff like that. But like whenever somebody would go to the rim, they there was no there was nobody any met at the rim. And honestly, I know I had a few people text me like, "Oh, it's so great to have an All Star game without Rudy Gobert." But honestly. <laughs> If Rudy Gobert was out there, there's what is he going to do besides trying to stop shots at the rim? So that actually would have probably been more fun because at least he would have taken playing defense seriously. And so I, I, I thought we really lost out in some of that stuff. Also, a lot of the guys playing were hurt, and and a lot of them were stars. You know, like LeBron and Giannis got out of there quickly. Joel Embiid isn't fully healthy, so he wasn't really trying to do it. Jalen was healthy. Uh, Jalen was not healthy. Uh, he was, you know, getting back from the injury. And he really went for it because he was someone who really needed the ticket for that spotlight. And I kind of wish, honestly, that they had more injury replacements for some of these guys that were a little bit banged up so that we could have gotten some people that really cared about being there as opposed to like LeBron, who obviously has been there a thousand times at this point, and they're doing ceremonies for him constantly. So it's all like he's really cherishing the moment. <laughs> and Giannis has done it plenty of times. We know Giannis cares more about the playoffs than anything. So it's all like he's going to go crazy in the All-Star game. But it would have been nice if we had some of the guys that maybe this is their only all three and they're going to make or someone like Jalen who's trying to prove himself that he's a superstar rather than just a star. I think that we would have seen more quality basketball if we had had more of those guys there. Yeah, I this has got to be one of the worst I can remember as far as defense being played goes. I don't know how you fix it. I know Shea was talking about, you know, money talks. Not the best look when all these dudes are making like forty million dollars just on the contract alone. It's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. and and you're right, Joe. Like it, it does would not take much to make it slightly more entertaining. Like just a little bit, a little bit of defense would go so so far. Maybe you got to put in like each team got to have you got to have a Marcus Smart, you got to have a Pat Beverly, just a, a couple of guys that like are gonna try, um, like. Uh, and that's the thing, Giannis was injured. He he often sets the tone for a bit of effort, I feel. Um, and he had that one dunk and then went out. Um, and if you're going to play injured, yeah, let guys that want to play in the All-Star game actually play as opposed to just playing two or three minutes. Um, that was kind of a bummer. But yeah. Um, also, I think the outrage is a little too strong. Like, I kind of understand these guys not wanting to get injured um, in a meaningless yeah, game. Yeah. Like, you know, there's there's one there's one goal and it's it's get out it's get out to the playoffs healthy and so I understand not wanting to go too hard but there's definitely a happy medium in between uh, what we saw last night and and today because it does take a little bit of a shine a laugh. And one thing I'd wonder is the Kemba Walker situation, how much that affects mm. these guys. That mm-hmm. you know Kemba, like for people who don't remember, Kemba played a lot of minutes in the All Star game when he had some knee soreness and. Then, like his career fell apart after totally. that, and so I, I remember bringing that up to somebody with the Celtics recently, and they're like, "Obviously, Kemba's knee did not go to because of that one game, which is obvious, you know. Like they play, he's playing thirty-five minutes a night, then he plays one extra game after several days of rest, where they're not they're not even going hundred percent the entire time. If that's what caused it to happen, no, of course not. But I think it at least was a reminder of what can go wrong, and that like. These guys, they have so much money on the line that yeah. it's funny because it's like you play, like guys get hurt in practice and you know, guys yeah. go hard in practice all the time, right? So like you can be super competitive in a game that doesn't count, but I think it's the idea of that 
there's just something about the all-star game that they just don't take it seriously mm-hmm. because it's this exhibition of pop and circumstance. And I, I don't know, like they, right now they're in sound of charity, right? They're trying to like raise money for charity with the, the, the shots are hitting late in the quarters. And so that's how they're trying to incentivize. Guys. But like, did it really seem like that was incentivizing guys a lot of threes? It didn't seem like it was incentivizing them like out of the basketball. The Elam ending that first time around, for some reason, it was because the game was close and because it was this new thing, it seemed like it got guys to go off the wall. And that was, that was honestly some of the greatest basketball I've ever seen in my life because it was like all the best players in the same time on the same place actually yeah. playing hard. Um, I, I would love, I would love to see them get a, like a big purse prize together of like the winning team gets a split like $10 million or something like that. And maybe that would motivate these guys more because donating to charity clearly didn't do it for them. Um, <laughs> and, you know, maybe if the money goes in their pocket or maybe maybe if they make like some sort of like special, like special, you know, Richard Mill watch or something like that for the winner that they could win. Maybe that would be it. Maybe it's because the, they're, they're making rings, I think, for everybody participating. But maybe if they were able to get some sort of special trophy out of it, that was actually pretty cool and unique that only the winner gets, maybe that would motivate one diamond in the ring for every block or defensive player that you execute <laughs> during the game. Yes, exactly. Every stock gets you like 20k. That's <laughs> and then and then, then we're now we're now we're cooking with gas. Um okay, that's pro- that's probably probably enough on on the awesome all-star game that we experienced yesterday. Um the Jordan Tatum ones were announced yesterday. Um Tatum displaying them. Um the pink lemonade uh, I'm never going to be good enough at basketball to ever wear the, the pink lemonade uh, colorway in a basketball game, but they're probably my favorite colorway. Uh, Jad, are you, are you a shoe guy? What did you think of the yeah. shoes? I like them. I mean, the funny thing was, I remember when they JT said, that's not the real shoe. Yeah. It's, it's going to be for that. <laughs> and I mean, I haven't examined it closely enough, but it looks like it's the same damn shoe. 100%. So, yes. Yeah. That, yeah, it was that shoe. Um, I, the window, the, like the window on the outsole, doesn't strike me. It's a little bit awkward. Um, I mean, it's better than like when the Zion's dropped and the yeah. Zion's had like the uh, they awkwardly tried to work the Z in there. And I thought they were they honestly just look like Marshall's shoes. I don't know if that works, you guys. They look <laughs> they look like they look like uh, like the Marshall's is like a department store in the U.S. that has oh, yeah. name brand stuff that's all like knockoff versions of name brand stuff that they put the name on anyway. And that's what Zion shoes kind of look like to me. These definitely <laughs> look nicer. Um, and I mean, they kind of look like LeBron's a little bit to me. Um, and that, I think it's a good thing having LeBron. LeBron has always had my favorite shoes. Like I wear the LeBron 15s all the time. Yes. Um, I just, I don't understand what they're trying to do with the window on the side. It just, it's an awkward shape. And I, I don't know what's in there. It's like, it kind of looks like an airbag, but it doesn't look aesthetically pleasing like an airbag. So that's <laughs> going to be like, is, is there zoom in there? Like, I can't even tell, um, you know, and may, maybe they'll get creative with what they, what they're putting in there. But otherwise I like the, like, I like, I like the upper, I like the fabric. I like the heel. I think all that's good. It's just like that big window is the thing that sticks out. It's just, I'm not really, I'm not, I'm not clear on what the purpose of it is right now. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, for me, I love Jason Tatum. It could have been a turd with a sole on the bottom of it, and I would buy them and wear them for every basketball game that I play. Um, but an elite business move either way, regardless for Jason Tatum to debut them 
in the All-Star game that he went on to to score, you know, a record number 55 points and win the MVP. So a very baller move, literally there by Jason Tatum. We should move on, Jared, and, and dust our hands of that relatively boring All-Star game. Celebrate the fact that it was amazing for Celtics fans, but like we said, terrible for everyone else. Let's take a look at the season ahead, <laughs> the, the sort of the final stretch run here. How do you see the final stretch of the season playing out? Like, the Celtics finish with the one seed? Looks like they've got the 10th hardest remaining schedule per strength of schedule. The Bucks have the 11th. Take uh, from that what you will. How do you see the rest of this season playing out for the Seas? I mean, depends on what happens in that game in March. Right? Yeah. They've, you see, these two teams are right next to each other. Boston probably has a depth advantage as far as that when their main guys are sitting. They have a lot of playmakers I can, that can step in for them, so they've been pretty good with that. When Giannis is sitting... It's like really hard for Milwaukee to replicate uh, what he's doing because um, they just don't have the playmaking depth coming off the bench. But Drew Holiday's having an amazing season, so yeah, that's really helped. That's really helped them deal with Chris Middleton not being fully ready yet. So, I mean, Milwaukee, if Chris Middleton continues to improve, or I guess improves over the stretch run, that might make them a little bit stronger. Maybe Jay Crowder's addition is going to be a difference maker for them. But it just seems like Boston has been the better team by a hair, I guess, and. I would expect them to finish with the one seed. They've already had a lot of guys miss a lot of time that are coming back. So I don't think they're going to be, it seems like they're not going to be missing bodies as much in the second half of the season. You never know, guys can get hurt again. But usually, once a guy gets hurt and he comes back, he doesn't get hurt again. Like, I don't know why, because it's technically all random, right? But Uh um, I mean, I assume Boston's going to have decent health going down the stretch, and maybe they'll start resting guys a little bit more, but they already. Like they're used to the resting patterns, right? Like their bigs switch off games on back to back stuff like that. Um, you know, Jalen's always in and out lineup. It's like they're used to doing. Re- they're, they're used to getting by with guys resting, and their all next man up thing, which is a mentality that every team in the history of sports has. So it's not like it's like the special thing that's like that. But they've been good at bringing guys up the depth chart and still executing pretty well. So they they are in pole position, and they should stay in pole position. Yeah, what I. What I like, um, I'm forgetting his name. It's the the Dunker Spot Pod, Nikias Duncan, and the co-host, last name Jones. Um, oh, Steve Jones. Steve Jones. Thank you. Bigger. One of his favorite Steve Jones isms is um, sometimes you're an injury away from really figuring something out or unlocking something um, on a part of your roster that you didn't know otherwise. And as you know, frustrating and, and tough as it's been to be missing Marcus and and Jalen, um, what that has meant is that Derek White has gone to a completely new level. Um, and really found himself over over this stretch. Um, obviously, he's not going to have the same usage um, now that Marcus Smart's back. Um, but the level of confidence that he's playing with, the level of aggressiveness that he's been playing with, if he can continue to play, um, you know, that way, I think that's going to have a really positive impact. And it meant that we had no choice but to play Sam Hauser. Like his minutes had really, really been cut, and he's back. Like, um, especially when you look at that. Um, the Milwaukee game, Hauser was Hauser was absolutely cooking. Um, the fact that Hauser's back, you know, Muscala's come in. Um, they've got so much shooting now, so much depth, as you said, Jared. Um, that I think that even if they are resting a guy here or there, um, they have the ability to to really crank it up here um, through the last twenty games. And listening to Tatum in his post game press conference yesterday, he's like, "This is this is it. This is the time you want to be playing your best basketball, both individually and collectively." Um, and they remember the you know from last season. This is you know from January post All Star break. They were 
they were crushing teams and they went into the playoffs as the hottest team in the league and they got to the got to the finals so um i think that i expect the team because i think sometimes you know we see this team kind of take their foot off the gas at certain points throughout the regular season which we've seen but you know i think it's going to be a collective understanding that this is go time um so i would i would i would i would expect them to to push into that 59 i don't know if they'll quite get to 60 wins but yeah they're going to be right there um with Milwaukee for for that one seed, um, yeah, I, I don't think yeah. anyone in the NBA is going to reach sixty wins this year. There's just yeah. the middle class; of the league is too deep, and this is not surprising, right? With the plan and the lottery odds, the way they are, you're expecting the middle class to be deeper. It's kind of designed to be that way. Um, and it's funny; I remember uh, ahead of the deadline, a lot of people were saying that because the, <laughs> because of the plan, teams aren't going to be willing to part with players as much, and so you might not see much movement. And then we saw like a record busy yeah. deadline, right? So, um, you know, I, I think I to see teams get 60 wins. And I also think that, you know, maybe seeding isn't quite as crucial as mm-hmm. it used to be. Um, we've seen teams win on the road. Uh, we saw the Celtics win in game seven on the road. We saw the Celtics lose a game six in the finals at home. It's like, it, I think seeding has inc- uh, continued to decrease in value around the league. I think teams are really valuing and health more than anything. Because I, mean, I think as teams are just recognizing that guys are going to pick up small knocks throughout the playoffs and they're going to miss some time throughout the playoffs. And their goals are to make sure that when guys miss a game here or there, they're just missing one game and they're not getting, they're, they're not losing guys permanently like you did with Chris Middleton. Like the Bucks, maybe the Bucks would have won the championship last year if, if Chris Middleton was healthy. And so, um, I think that the Celtics, the way they're going to prioritize the stretch here is like just making sure, like, like you got to probably have to rest Al Horford more, right? Because Al Horford's taking out a pretty heavy workload, and uh, like as far as minutes are concerned, and last year he was able to have the stamina to make a deep run, although we kind of lost it a little bit at the end. But that was because he was coming off of that huge break before when he was with OKC, where uh. he basically sat for January. It's like, how do you manage those lobs? to get him ready for another deep playoff run. He's been um, like he's been playing the whole season and been playing lots of minutes. And so I, I think that you're, you're going to see the Celtics prioritize that health going yeah. into the stretch and willing to sacrifice seeding a little bit. Yeah, I was just, it's a good point on the seeding. I actually had a look at this because um, I was trying to convince myself that the one seed isn't important now that the Bucs have like, caught up to us. And if you look at the last five years, um, last season, Heat and the Suns were the one seeds. Year prior, Sixers, Jazz. Your prior Bucks Lakers, they won the bubble chip, but that was extreme circumstances where they were able to rest for six months for two players that probably benefited more than the other team. Yes, the bubble chip still counts, but um, that's it's important. Also, no home it. court advantage. No home court advantage as well. No. And then eighteen nineteen um, was Bucks Warriors uh, Warriors losing that one, and the year previous was Rockets Raptors, and so only team of that of those last five years that was a one seed to actually win the title was the Lakers. And that was the the bubble championship. So I think um, that's a really good point. And the Celtics have proved to be an elite road team. Um, again, this year, their road record is the best in the league. Um, had some of their best performances in the playoffs last year. Game six in Milwaukee, game seven in Miami, game one in Golden State. Um, this team doesn't really have much of an issue performing on the road. Um, I have a question for you, Jared. Um, do you reckon we've seen the best basketball of the Celtics yet? Because we've only seen the starters from last year, you know, Marcus, Jalen, Jason, Rob, and Al play 
29 total minutes together, I think, the last time I had a look. Um, I feel like there's a there's a there's still room for them to really kind of take it to a new level in this last stretch. They were so good in that opening 20 games of the season that I can't imagine they can replicate that level of performance. Um, let's say we're, what, like 18-3 and three or something like that. Um, so you can't really beat that. But Derek White is playing the best basketball of his career. Marcus Smart this season has been probably the best of his career. JT and JB are probably at their peak. And Rob, Rob and Al are the two guys that have kind of started to find more of a rhythm as the season has gone on. And so, every, and, Mal, and Malcolm Brockton has been oh, yeah. finally kind of scoring consistently in the 20s as of late. Um, you know, Brockton hasn't been super consistent this year, and his defense isn't where it needs to be, and his passing vision turns on and off a lot of the time. But the dude's hitting most of the shots that he's taking, at least, and he's getting smarter about the shots he's taking. He's taking less wild shots, attacking the rack as he was early, earlier in the year. So, Everyone's lining up, I feel like, right now to be playing their best ball. It's just a matter of everybody being together healthy. So, yeah, they could come out of the all-star break and round a lot of a winning streak here. That's definitely possible. Where are you at with Grant Williams, though? Because, and this is of, you know, a special importance given where, you know, Al Horford's at. And you mentioned he didn't have that OKC-style break coming into this season. Some people have identified Grant Williams as the possible, even if it's just to half of the degree that Al is, somewhat of an Al replacement. Like, I think everyone this season has either met or exceeded expectations, but Grant has been wildly inconsistent. So, where are you at with Grant Williams as far as, you know, his reliability as we look towards the playoffs? Yeah, Grant is probably the only guy right now that's not in the ideal basketball rhythm um, that isn't dealing with injury. And it's been a weird season for Grant because Grant started off so well at the beginning of the year. And he... It, it was really, it was the moment when Rob came back that screwed things up for him because Grant was playing with no concern about losing playing time, no concern about whether he was going to be in the closing rotation, all that kind of stuff. He knew his spot was secure because uh, they weren't putting Blank Griffin in, and that's for sure. So when Rob came back, that really screwed up his, um, his opportunities and I think it it made him feel like he had to force his way into getting opportunity. And so we saw him start to turn it over, attacking a lot of the time. Uh, he hit a cold streak. He's been dealing with an arm injury that's like not to hold him out, but clearly enough to affect him. And so I, I do wonder, how does Grant recalibrate? Now that he's had some time off to reflect and cool off and heal up and stuff like that. Does he recalibrate his offensive approach? Because it just hasn't worked for him. And it seems like he's taken a little bit of a step back. And he's really kind of going to what he was doing, which was lifting up from the corners, spotting up to the corners, spacing the corners to shoot it, lifting up to get those elbow threes, attacking and looking to dish, and then looking to take the flutter if the defense kind of covers up the lane. That's the kind of simple bread and butter stuff that when he was just doing consistently and reliably, it was allowing him points. And so I think the more that he holds that, the more nice he's going to have 12 points and seven rebounds. And that's the kind of numbers he needs to put up. The shooting has been st- stable this year. It's been pretty good this year. His defense has been, it's been a little bit inconsistent, but like when, when Grant's on, he's a really, really good defender. Um, and so, you know, it's not surprised that he's a fourth year guy who had his role change in the middle of the season, which is going to happen, understandably, coming back. So it's not a surprise to see him 
struggling and like our standards for him are higher than like for Sam Hauser. It's like mm-hmm. Sam Hauser, similar situation, but like Hauser gets his ass kicked on defense all the time. Hauser can't score at the rim a lot of the time. It's like Grant is able to do so much of what Hauser does and then still go the extra, you know, as a way better, better defense is able to play, make a little bit better on offense. And he's, and he's way, he's more aggressive than Hauser is. And so, and we're holding him to a higher standard. So it looks like he's struggling in comparison, but in reality, he still is more impactful than Hauser in so many ways. And so, um, I'm still bullish on Grant. I, you know, like what we saw from Grant at the beginning of the season, um, that stuff is there. And I'm sure also defensive defenses saw enough tape of him that they could take away some of the moves that was working well for him. They kind of figured out where they want to force him to shoot from, where they want to reroute him drives where he like can't get to a shot comfortably. And that's when he throws up wild stuff, but like he'll get better and figure out over time. So like, I hope they keep him because it's like, he's mm-hmm. clearly he's grown so much over these four years and he's still so young that he should continue to evolve his game. Yeah. I think he's definitely someone that will, whatever the ceiling is, is he'll hit the ceiling. Um, and, you know, with young players, mentally, you, you see Grant hit a certain level in the playoffs and you're like, okay, he's going to maintain that level of play through a whole season. Um, but the reality is he's, yeah, as you said, fourth year guy, there are still going to be bumps in the raid. Um, I have a couple of like numbers here. Like Ben, you mentioned the, um, the Al Horford re- replacement light. Um, this is the top post-up numbers um, per possession. And Horford is allowing the you know, seventh least points uh, per possession for post-ups. And then you, and then you look at Grant. Um, he's allowing well. <laughs> uh, the highest efficiency um, on post ups this year, which I think is it's. I've I've really had a tough time with Grant this year because on one hand I think that like the defense being inconsistent is frustrating because I think that should be something that should be the consistent part. Like you know your shots not falling, the offense isn't there. You can always play hard on defense, but at the same time you look at the Milwaukee game, you look at the Philadelphia game, and he was. Fantastic defending both Giannis, Brook Lopez, and Bede. Um, really, really effective. And so, like, that's all that really matters. If I know that he's going to be able to step up in matchups um, in the playoffs against the Celtics rivals that are going to you know, be there, that's that's all that really matters. Um, I hope that he takes this has taken this week to cut to recalibrate. I think that's a good word. I think he kind of got a little lost in the sauce um, with when to shoot, when to drive closeouts. I just need to simplify the approach a little bit offensively um, and get back to playing a bit more consistently on D. I'm really yeah. surprised to see those those post-up numbers because Grant's a pretty... Like his post-up technique is really good. He knows how to hit guys. He knows how to leverage guys. He's got a good swipe when guys are making their moves. But it makes sense that tall, like seven-footers yeah. that have a nice turnaround shot, they're going to get that shot over him. He's going to make them uncomfortable when they can hit that shot over him. Um, but, but like Grant isn't meant to be a post-up defender. Um, and in the playoffs, are you really going to get beat on the block? You know, maybe for sure. It depends like who you're facing, obviously, like obviously against Philly, sure. Against Giannis, he's going to try to face up Grant. Grant did a pretty good job against Giannis from when I remember in the face-up game. It was mostly Giannis in transition and early offense. that really screwed them up. And also when Giannis was, was the screener on the elbow pick and rolls, that's what really killed them was Grant. There's nothing you can do on that one. You know, Giannis is going to dunk over him. Giannis is probably going to dunk over Al, too. Um, but, like, Grant, his main value on defense is his versatility, that they can go into their switch scheme with him at the five, and especially with him at the four and the three. They can still do that. And he's he's able to 
uh, he's able to execute a lot of the different pick and roll coverages really well. So when you want to have the switchable defense, which is what they're going to be doing most of the time in the playoffs, that's where he really shows his value there. And then when you need someone that's going to tank up and pretty much any power perimeter player, he's able to handle that. So that's, that's definitely a vulnerability for him on the block, but he's been better against guards up in space this year. His closeouts have been pretty decent this year. I still think Grant is continuing to improve as a defender. Yeah, absolutely. Just zooming out a little bit here, Jared, are the vibes as good with this team as they appear through the TV? Like We talked to Abby Chin earlier in this season, and she said the vibes are uniquely special this year for this particular team. You've been covering the team since 2011. From your perspective, like, does this team have that sort of unique specialness that Abby spoke about? This is really high up there. Um, I think... The year that they made that run with Isaiah Thomas, that was like yeah. a comparable sure. level of vibes. Um, and that, I mean, that <laughs> team had its troubles because like Jay Crowder was a very polarizing presence. Like yeah, he was right. very intense. Uh, but I, I mean, I think they love Jay, but Jay just could be a pain in the ass. But you know, this, I mean, Smart is certainly an antagonizer for sure about it. You notice that happening much this year. Um, this team, so like they started off so good and they knew that they had to hold together for Joe that they didn't face any attrition for a while. It took them a while to face actual adversity. That West Coast trip where they were losing in LA, San Francisco, that was the first bit of adversity they had. And at least that one, they were pissed off, but they're like, all right, this is a hard West Coast swing. Then they came home and Orlando kicked their ass. And it was like, okay, now we're actually starting to get annoyed. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember any finger pointing there. I don't remember any questioning about Joe's ability to lead them through that moment. And They've they've really they kind of regrouped pretty well after that, and they have they've only had like a couple of bad weeks since then, and I think that while they're like why they're not quite dominating in the same way that they were at the beginning, but they have consistently won ugly games, and I think it's hard to it's it's easy to forget that like teams that win sixty games it's not like. They're it's only unless you're the Warriors, it's not like you're looking amazing the entire time. Like you yeah. have to trudge your way to that. Basketball's ugly. The league is um a basketball, that's how I would say. Winning can be ugly. Um, and this league is more even than it's been in the past. So like most nights are gonna be tough games. And I think that Boston fans tend to take a lot of a first person view on what how your team is performing. When in reality, it's like the other, the opponent is making your life more difficult than you are making your life difficult for yourself. And so I think Celtic fans will often feel like the team is playing poorly when in reality, they're just facing a decent team that makes life harder for them. And you're not going to look perfect and hum consistently throughout the season. And so looking at that, I feel like the team is in a pretty good spot from their encore execution. And when they win ugly games, I think a lot of the time it's just because they have really, they have really good communication. And they seem to trust each other and respect each other in a way that they haven't in the past. And maybe that's just because like the Jays are at a point in their careers where they don't have to really prove themselves anymore. Like I know we kind of talked about that with Jalen in the All Star game before, but like Jalen, whatever, whatever left he or whatever more he has to do to prove himself, like Jalen's proven. We know Jalen's a star. We know he's a great scorer. Um, You know, Smart is very comfortable where he is at this point. I don't know if Rob is like emotionally processing when he's on the floor 
I think he's just a robot. Mm-hmm. He just, totally. He's just a robot. He sees the ball and he goes for the ball. That's all he does. You know, uh-huh. it's like, so <laughs> I don't really know what Rob's emotional journey is at this point, but like, I don't get the sense that Al has to be the dad anymore. <laughs> I think that's a big thing. It's like, there's not a lot of Al, you know, telling everyone, all right, sit down and shut up. Let's, let's go over what it means to be an NBA player anymore. You know, they, they seem to be pretty self-sufficient and that just makes life easier because there's not much infighting about who's the leader of this team anymore. Yeah, I think these guys have been together for so long now. Marcus, Jalen, Jason, and Al as well, even though he had that that Philadelphia spy mission uh, for a couple of years. But other than that, he's been he's been part of this team for, for a long time now. And I think you're right, like that comfortability with it's like a family. They've been together for so long now. They've been to be they've been through like the ups and the downs and specifically the downs. So I think they're really able to appreciate when a team is really good. When everybody's, you know, bought in um, and pulling in the same direction, like, you know, they all went through the Kyrie season. They know what that looks like. And that felt like um, that season, like the, the COVID year when we had half the roster that was that, that's off, that's out of the NBA now with Carson Edwards and Tristan Thompson and um, Jeff Teague. Like, that always blows my mind. And that was like just two years ago. But I think there's an appreciation for, for like, oh, yeah, was, wow. yeah, like just for like, this is great. Like you look around the league, these guys like appreciate we've got amazing people in the front office we love brad you know joe's come in um we're lucky enough to have spent our careers with um guys that value winning and get wins so i think um yeah they've got a shared goal um and they're kind of all on the same on the same page from that perspective look this has been our debut episode of celtics reporters in cars doing podcasts (laughs) but jared before we wrap up i just we like to find out a little bit about our celtics media friends before we uh before we wrap up so a little bit about you before we go here so you've covered the celtics since 2011 but before joining the athletic back in college you actually co-founded the clns media network and then went on to write for celtics blog and usa today you also spent like seven years working for the government, primarily as a compliance bank regulator, if my data is is correct there. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, how you got started as a Celtics journalist and is this something that you had wanted to do like growing up? Yeah, it's funny. I found something a couple of years ago. It was like my fourth grade yearbook and I'd written down my new job as a sports reporter. So nice. um that was a stupid wish because it's a terrible <laughs> career path to pursue. But, um, but it, it, yeah, I guess it was something I always wanted to do. I, I went to college and studied political science and I thought I was going to work for government. I did do that for a while. I wanted to get into like international diplomacy or something like that. And, um, I, as, right towards the end of college is when I started to actually write more consistently, was doing my podcast with CLNS. And then we actually got a credential to cover the team. So I was able to get in there and start covering. And I knew what I was doing, but I kept doing it uh, as I was graduating college and getting into the professional space as a, uh, as a, someone trying to know what they were doing with their day job too. And I just, I don't think, I don't know when I got to the point that I thought it was a real career path, but I had, I had this amazing access. I was getting, I, I, the way I looked at it was I'm going to be watching the games anyway, and I'm going to be yelling at the TV, asking these, like asking this guy, like, why did you do that? So I might as well just go do it and ask them in person. So that's (laughs) why I kept doing it. And eventually I started to see where there could be a path for me, but I was doing it because I just loved it. Um, cause it was just so great to be behind the scenes of the game that I love and to see things up close and to learn about the game. And eventually I realized I actually have a role to play there, even though it's a small role, but you know, uh, 
I eventually started to understand how being a journalist can be actually beneficial. Because for me, for a long time, it just felt like I was just an entertainment reporter documenting what was going on. And eventually I started to learn about the power of storytelling and reporting. And so that's what got me to take it more seriously. And I was able to eventually turn it into a career. That's Have awesome. you got any pieces coming up that you want to plug to our billions of listeners while you're here? Yes. Tomorrow, <laughs> I think it's dropping tomorrow. I have a feature. It's a bit, it's a bigger national story, but the Celtics will be in there too, because the genesis of the story started in the Celtics locker room. But uh, I can't I can't give away too much, but it has to do with one of my favorite Instagram accounts. Um who okay. makes who makes NBA plays into jokes and in a funny and simple way that makes it brilliant. And so uh, awesome. it turned out he had, this this person has a lot of fans throughout the league. And so I got to talk to a bunch of people that were big fans of his and really learn the story and I thought it was really funny. But I can't wait for that one to drop on the athletic. Oh, cool. I imagine that this week gives gives you and other, you know, writers a chance to kind of get a bit of time to breathe and write something a little different from like the the grind of like the day to day season. Yeah, no, now this is the week to catch up on expenses and plan <laughs> things out and you know, kinda like plan the stretch run. Nice. Awesome. Um, yeah, like we we really appreciate you coming on and sharing that kind of stuff because I think it's super interesting um, as uh, we start out from kind of the, the ground floor here and, and make our little, little carve out our even tiniest piece of, of role uh, in, the, in the Celtics media world. So it's just always cool to get um, the perspective of, of one of the larger voices in the Celtics, um, Celtics community. Yeah, as you can imagine, you that. It, that, you guys have a good show, and anything that's good, the more you, you know, the more you push at it, the bigger it gets eventually. To what extent, just to wrap up here, Jay, like, to what extent are you still a fan of the team? Like, I know in the media you're supposed to maintain some level of objectiveness. Like, are you uh, have you maintained your fandom throughout your work? Not really. You know, th- there's some reporters that still are hourly fans or even quietly fans around the league. I. So I remember when I was uh, in school, I took, when I found out I was going to start covering the team, I took a sports journalism class. And like one of the first, like the first day I said something about we referring to the team because I was still a fan at that point. And the professor cut me off. He's like, don't ever say we again for May now. And I thought he was an idiot for saying that. I'm like, how could you say that? Yeah. My passion is blah, blah, blah. And then as soon as I started covering the game, Literally after the first day, I was like, oh my God, he was so right. <laughs> and I haven't said we again ever since that moment. And so uh, I'm a big Chelsea fan in the yeah. Premier League. So that's, nice. that's the one that's the one place where I catch myself saying we, but I honestly say many most of the time just out of habit. Um, but I, I, I am no longer a fan of the Celtics or any team in the NBA. I... I really truly mean it when I say I'm just such a big NBA fan at this point. And I think a huge part of that is that I've developed relationships with people all over the league, uh, whether it's people that I developed relationships with in Boston that ended up going out elsewhere or people from other places. And, you know, like a lot of the people I talk to on a regular basis work for other teams or are players in other places or people that, you know, are friends of people from teams or players in other places. And so, um, you know, my network is beyond Boston in a way that. I find that like anytime there's a game, I know somebody that's on the other side of the coin. And so I, you know, I, and I think it's just like when you're covering it, it, de- it, 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 de- it humanizes everything to the point that it no longer has to speak to it. Mm-hmm. And so I think some reason takes away the fandom when then you, 
Um, and so I've had people tell me that's sad, but honestly, I enjoy it more now because I think I have more personal stake or personal involvement within what's happening. And I know the people on a different level within what's happening. And so it makes me appreciate it and enjoy it more. I just thought it was hung up on the results. Sure. So there's there's no part of you when it's game six in Milwaukee and Jason Tatum's hit his seven three. Your probably just goes, yes, Jason, go yeah. on, son. You're not popping the champagne <laughs> if they win the title this year. I mean, I'll like. So you're not supposed to celebrate with them. I think it's weird because it's like if these are people I know that I've been chronicling the whole year and they're winning the yeah. title. I'll like enjoy it, but I'll enjoy it from the perspective of like, it's fun to see all these people that I know celebrating and I'm like happy for them. It's not like a cell. It's not a celebration for me. Like I'm, yeah. I think I remember somebody like took a photo, like it was like a reporter took a photo with a trophy and people were like looking down and I'm like, we're all fans of the trophy. And it's like, yeah. you can take a photo with the trophy. It doesn't mean that you're rooting for the team that won it fairly. You're just like enjoying your moment with you're enjoying this cool moment and you have some small incredibly part of it was just as someone who's documenting it and someone who's documenting these moments and giving it to the masses for all the people that are fans you know and so i i think you can you you can be involved with it while still maintaining your objectivity um and objectivity is is imperfect right because we all have our relationships and you're not perfectly sterile in your objectivity um and so it doesn't mean that you're biased but it means that like you know if it means that your relationship, like your relationships, inform the information you have, and the way you see things, and so you can't be perfectly clinically objective like an AI would be. You know? Sure. So when Chat when Chat GPT is covering the league instead of me, <laughs> I've been replaced. You know, then maybe it'll be perfectly objective. But I find that, um, like like when Jason Tatum, you know, won the game in Game Six, I was excited because the music had to keep working. Totally. I get to go to Miami and San Francisco eventually, <laughs> and you know. And get my airline miles up and stuff like that. But beyond even just all the fun of that stuff, I got to be along for a finals run. And it's incredibly exciting and fun to be there for it. Because if, so I'm not, I'm not rooting, I'm rooting for the Celtics in so much as that, like, I want to keep working and keep seeing all the fun stuff and be there for it. But at the end of the day, I didn't care whether the Celtics won the championship or not. I just cared that everybody got their up. Like, I, I wanted to see the people that I knew get a fair shot at it and I feel bad for them and they didn't win but I still enjoyed it all the same awesome yeah it's really interesting to hear from that perspective I find personally because you know we do this little operation here at cost and it's our it's our personal fandom uh that drives it so it's really interesting to hear that perspective from the professional uh standpoint there look uh Jared you've clearly arrived at your destination there what well, looks like we're departing but oh, um I actually so, have to I have to move to a different place on my destination so <laughs> I'll keep driving but if, if you're listening to the audio podcast after the fact like go to about the 30 minute mark of this podcast and there's some really impressive parallel parking oh my, maneuverability so there from, from Jared <laughs> Look, that is going to do it for this one. We will be back on Thursday night right after the Pacers game, so keep an eye on our channel here for that stream and plenty of spicy matchups on the horizon, so it's going to be a fun, if not slightly stressful month here for Celtics fans. Jared Weiss, this is awesome, man. Thank you so much for coming on. Hey, we've, we've, <laughs> well tied. I think we've just lost him there. Jake Eisenberg, as always, thanks to you. Go Celtics. Until next time.